like to ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 6. Continuing through our fall series and different themes through the book of Proverbs. This morning we'll be looking at chapter 6, verses 20 through 24, and other various passages in Proverbs that deal with parenting. Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 24. Please listen to God's word. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. One of the first and best gifts that I received as a newlywed husband was this book. I pulled it off one of my shelf. I hadn't had it out for a while. It's called Fix-It-Yourself Manual. The Reader's Digest Fix-It-Yourself Manual. Oh, how I needed this book early in my marriage. I, of course, as I've said many times before, I grew up as the youngest and spoiled brat of my family and somehow avoided learning anything about home repair until I got married. The book was a gift from my wife, by the way. (laughs) The book contains all kinds of detailed step-by-step procedures for doing home repair, fixing all kinds of things around the house, all the common appliances, all of the uh, leaky faucets and plumbing problems and doors that stick, any of the problems that you might face in any given household. I'm actually kind of jealous of young husbands today and fathers because all you have to do is go to YouTube and put in your problem, your home repair problem, and all of a sudden all kinds of videos pop up that give you far better than step-by-step written directions. It's really a wonderful thing you should be more thankful for. But then after my first year of marriage, my first son was born, and there weren't any chapters in the book that dealt with screaming, messy, defiant infants. Being a parent is the most important and overwhelming job that any of us is ever asked to do. But children don't come with a fix-it-yourself manual. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking. Isn't that what the Bible is? Uh, Yes, in many ways, the Bible is like an owner's manual that our creator has given to us to know how to live our lives. Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 1 says very clearly, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture. And so it is true that this is all we need to guide us in this awesome job of being a parent, but if you've been a parent at all and have tried to use the scriptures to guide you in parenting, you figure out in a hurry that it's not a fix-it book. 
It's not a how-to-do manual. It gives you lots of step-by-step procedures to do parenting well. Matter of fact, a lot of Christian books try to fill that gap, I think, and try to, based on Scripture, become a how-to manual, but I don't know if you've ever read many of those, but I've found very few of them to be helpful. Because God's Word basically doesn't give us procedures. It doesn't give us methods. What it gives us is basic principles. The principles that are to guide all of our decisions. And it takes a lot of wisdom from God through the Spirit, through the Word, to know how to apply the principles of Scripture. We desperately need the help of the Spirit to know how those different principles apply to our specific situation. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about our job as parents. It has a lot to say about parenting. But again, when you reduce it down, and I've spent much of the week trying to take everything that the book of Proverbs says about parenting and reduce it into a few principles, it was amazing to me in the course of that study to realize how simple those principles are. I'm not going to share anything with you this morning that's earth-shattering or new or anything you've not heard before probably many times. And once I saw what those principles were, I realized that those principles aren't hard to understand. It's the application of those principles that will drive you to the end of yourself. God's job description for a parent, and Scripture does give us that job description. It's like any good job description. It doesn't spell out all the detailed responses that we are to give and every responsibility that we carry out, but it gives us these general principles. What are the basic responsibilities of a parent in the sight of God? And I think it's important that we as parents keep coming back to the Scriptures to have these laid out for us again and again and again because the world keeps giving us all kinds of different messages. And the world and our children keep laying expectations on us. And we end up feeling like such failures. And we will fail as parents. But it's important that we fail by God's standards and not be also concerned about failing at the world's standards. Here are the three principles that I came up with after looking at all the different things that Proverbs says about our basic responsibilities as a parent. First of all, your first responsibility as a parent, know your child. Secondly, instruct your child. And thirdly, discipline your child. Know your child, instruct your child, and discipline your child. Pretty simple, until you try to practice them at least. Let's go to the first one. We need to know our child to be a godly parent. It's interesting that in the book of Proverbs, it takes and reflects the view of human nature that you find all through the rest of Scripture. And what Proverbs will tell you is what the rest of Scripture will tell us is it's foolish to enter into the job of parenting a child without first studying and understanding what is the nature of the child that you're trying to raise. And again, it's so important that we keep in mind how God sees our children because we get a lot of perspectives and ideas from the world that are contrary to what God says. The world tends to say that children are born innocent, that they're born as blank slates, they're pure. And if you believe that about a child, an infant or a toddler, clearly you've never had one, but besides that, if you believe that, it's going to affect how you parent, because basically then, if that's true, then your whole job as a parent is not to mess them up. And I'm really glad that God 
does not just expect me not to mess up my kids because unfortunately they started out that way. I was really struck by the world's perspective as daily I would listen to my wife when she had a job working uh, in the school system, the public school system, working with severely disabled children. She would come home frustrated so many days because of the view of the child's nature that the school had. Because of that, they did not really allow any kind of meaningful discipline. And so you had a child who in spite of their physical disabilities, had a real human soul that had real needs to deal with the sin in the soul, and yet, because of their view of the child's nature, the teachers and other authority figures weren't allowed to exercise any kind of meaningful discipline, and it made teaching them almost impossible. In Proverbs 22, verse 15, here's where you get the basic perspective of Scripture. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. The fool, we talk a lot about folly in the book of Proverbs, don't we? And the fool in scripture is not what the world, that's not how the world uses the word fool. In scripture, the word fool is someone who rejects the wisdom of God and chooses to go their own way instead. That's what a fool is in scripture. And that is the nature that all children, all of us, were born with. Proverbs continually uses terms like fool and mocker and sluggard to talk about what it's like to live outside the grace of God, to live in a selfish, prideful life. And that's what we are all born to be. Every child born into the world is born with that nature. And without intervention, they will become full-fledged fools, sluggards, and mockers. Children are born as selfish anarchists. That is their nature, according to Scripture. Hostile to God, enemies to God. And you know what? Parenting would be a lot easier if children were all the same kind of anarchists. But unfortunately, they're not. They're made in the image of God, therefore they're very intelligent, very creative in their rebellion. And they express it in an infinite variety of ways. My wife and I raised five children, and each one of them was incredibly different from the others. What worked in teaching and disciplining with one child didn't work with the next one. And that was a frustrating thing to discover that, you know, you've got the principles of God's word, and so with each child, you've got to kind of figure them out, and you have to write your own fix-it manual to deal with this child, and then you have a second child, and you realize very quickly you've got to throw out that manual and start writing a new one. Because they're so different, their temperaments, their personalities, their sin issues, and their circumstances. Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Psalms, chapter 64, Psalm 64, verse 6 says, The inward mind and heart of a man, or you can read child, are deep. The inward mind and heart of a man or a child are deep. That's one of the biggest challenges. And I hope you embrace it as a challenge, as a parent is to tailor your teaching, your discipline, your relationship with your child to the age, the personality, the temperament, the maturity level, and the circumstances of each child. You need to work hard and be committed to working hard to knowing what makes each of your children tick, how they think, how they respond, what motivates them, what doesn't motivate them. 
Every Monday morning, Monday's my day off, and you've probably heard me say this before, but every Monday morning, it's been my wife's and my tradition on my the morning of my day off to go out to a restaurant for breakfast so that we can look each other in the face and have some meaningful conversation. And one of the things that we spent so many of those Monday mornings that do almost every Monday morning was debriefing one another in the work that we did together of parenting our children. That was a very important time for our relationship with each other, but a very important time for our parenting, where we would sit there and analyze both our children where they were, and also the methods we were using to try to train them and raise them. I'll admit to you, there were many of those mornings where it was more venting than analyzing, but it was all part of the process of trying to help each other know our children, know how to apply the principles of God's word to our children, to talk about what was working, what wasn't working. You know what, it's not take, just taking the time to know our children, we need to know ourselves as well. And we also were born as selfish anarchists. And even though we are saved by the blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we are eternally children of God by grace, still we struggle with those sins that lurk deeply in our souls. One writer said, remember every time a parent interacts with a child, there are two sinners in the room, not one. Matter of fact, if you've been a parent very long at all, you'll know that being a parent will reveal sin in the deep recesses of your soul that you never knew existed. I had real anger issues when I was a teenager, and I wasn't a believer. Couldn't control my temper. Then I got saved by God's grace. And the Lord was patient with me. He taught me, and over a period of time, I got to the place where I felt like I could get on top of that, that with the Lord's help, and the principles of his word, I could control my anger. And then I got married. And my wife helped me to find deeper levels of anger in my heart and my soul than I ever knew existed there. And the Lord worked on me again for a period of time. And after a while, I finally got to the point where, I, you know, I think I got this under control again. And then I had my first child. I have discovered much more anger and pride and selfishness in the depths of my soul with the help of my children than I ever could have known about otherwise. But that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. It's part of God's severe grace as he is putting me through the fire and refining me and transforming me by his grace. Parents desperately need the gospel because we are sinners trying to raise other sinners to be like Christ. We can't do it on our own. We desperately need the grace of God. We need it every day because we fail over and over again every day. But the grace is always new every morning. So we need to know our children. Study them and know them. It's part of your responsibility as a parent to understand who they are as God sees them. Secondly, we need to instruct our children. Remember that the book of Proverbs is largely, most of the book of Proverbs is a book of instructions from a father to a son. You remember that? And so it's such a great example for us of how to apply God's principles to our children and to try to teach them those principles so that they can get to the place where they are applying those principles themselves. Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 
The whole section, that whole long section, the beginning of Proverbs starts with these words. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. They are of great value that you should be with you every day. That's the teaching there. Keep your godly father and your godly mother, and I recognize there are many here this morning who didn't have a godly father and a godly mother. But this is speaking to those parents who love the Lord and are seeking to do his will. And if you have parents like that, you are to guard that teaching of God's word that they have given you and keep it with you like a garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Here in chapter 6, we read earlier, it gives the same instruction, that same high value of instruction in God's word. It says in chapter 6, verse 20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. Bind them on your heart always and tie them around your neck. In other words, let the word of God as it's taught to you by your godly parents be imprinted upon your soul so that they're always with you. Now, many times when I'm doing application in the midst of sermons, I'll say to you, here's a helpful tip. Why don't you go home, take this really important verse for how you're going to live your life this week and write it on your mirror in the bathroom so that when you get up in the morning, it's the first thing you see, and that's what you're going to be thinking about. Well, that's really the same idea that's being presented here. Take the teachings of God's word that faithful parents and others have given you over the years and always have them with you. Bind them into your heart, whether it takes memorization or study or just constant reading or whatever it takes to put the principles of God's word into your heart. And so you're reminded by them all day long. This instruction that parents do this so, is so important that it's a 24-7 activity of the family. That children see that in every circumstance of life, the word of God is going to be applied to that circumstance. It's good to have family worship and family devotions, but the kind of instruction that's talked about here in Proverbs and in Scripture is something that happens as you go about, as you get up, as you walk through your day, and as you go to bed at night. And your children need to understand that the Word of God applies to every part of their life like that. So that they get to the place where in verse 22, as it describes, it says, When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. We need to impart that wisdom to our children through the Word of God. It's interesting that the wording there is very similar to the Shema. The Shema was that portion of scripture from Deuteronomy 6 that Jewish families said and read in their families every morning and every evening. Every morning and every evening in a Jewish family you would hear these words read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's that kind of pervasive moment by moment application of the word of God to your family life that teaches your children to walk in the ways of righteousness. And it's so important. It's got to be your highest commitment. And I say this and stress this because we are in a culture that has increasingly, in recent generations, been delegating the responsibility of instructing our children to other people. More and more, even from the point of infancy on, we are basically delegating that 
primary central responsibility that we have as parents to other people. And to whatever degree you do that or have done that and your circumstances bring you to that point, you need to understand you, never, you can never delegate the primary responsibility to instruct your children. You need to be sure that you are teaching them the word in the way that you live your life. Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, youth group leaders, Christian friends, these are people that can come alongside you and help you. And we're here, that's what we're here for as a church, is to help you in that primary response that you have. But you cannot absent yourself from it. You cannot give it up. It's your responsibility as a parent in the sight of God. And the teaching that we're talking about, it's important that you understand that the teaching that we're talking about, the kind of instruction, is not just head knowledge. It is head knowledge. You must fill your mind with God's word, and it takes work as a parent and as a child to do that. It takes work to really know and study and understand the word of God. But the instruction, it's much more than that that the Bible talks about, because when you put all the terms together, when it talks about discipline and instruction, it's really the work of shepherding. It's the idea of being a loving mentor to your child, where you're helping them, walking beside them, knowing them, and enabling them to apply the word of God. It does raise the question, what is the goal for your children? When you think of your children, you think if they're toddlers now or elementary age, you think, where are they going to be in 20 years? What's your goal? What do you want for them? Because your children certainly pick up on that in a hurry, what your goals really are, whether you state them or not. And for too many of us as Christians, we've just fallen into the pattern of desiring the American dream for our kids. We want them to have a lot of sporting events in their lives so they can develop discipline. We want them to have musical ability. We want them to be able to dance. We want them to get a good education. We want to get them to a good college, maybe a grad school. Get them into a good career and get them into a good marriage with a nice, pretty wife or a handsome husband. And have them have a really nice house in the suburbs and some nice kids. If that's your goal for your kids, and none of those things are bad, those are all good things, but if that's really your goal for your kids, you're missing Scripture's point. That's not what God is looking for for our children primarily. Let me give you the shepherd's goal. Here is a description of a shepherd's goal. A parent is a shepherd, an elder is a shepherd. Here is the shepherd's goal. It's in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul talks about his goal as a shepherd of people. He says, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's the goal for your covenant children, is that they become mature in Christ, that they exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that they look like Christ, that's your goal. And of course you're never going to get there. You're not even going to get close. But that's what you're working towards. And one day, by God's grace, hopefully your children will get there as he continues to work in them throughout the course of their lives. Did you notice when we read the Shema a while ago, this Jewish, the scriptures that the Jewish father would read to his family in the beginning of the day and the end of the day every day, did you notice before he talks, te talks about teaching your children diligently, there's a very important verse before that. Before he talks about teaching God's word diligently, he says we, that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your might. That is primary. That's why I say it's not just head knowledge. The instruction in the word of God that you give to your children must flow out of a heart that is passionate for Jesus Christ. Out of a heart that really loves the Lord. Your children need to be able to see that. You're not just legalistically or or in some sense a duty imparting to them lessons about the Bible, but that you're sharing the word of God because you love the word of God. You're sharing the word of God in their life because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing how your children reflect your own passions. My children love baseball. They love apple pie. They love music. Why? Because I love those things. It's a big reason why. It's just reality. You know, it's interesting. They did in my research this week, I came across a study. I believe it was done by a secular organization. The study, and it was comprehensive, it involved many kids. It was called the National Study of Youth and Religion. What they did is they took kids between the ages of 15 and 17 as teenagers and studied their lifestyle, their, their wants, their likes, dislikes. They studied them and their families that they were being raised in. And then they came back later when they were between the ages of, say, 25 and 30 and studied them again in all the same ways and then made observations based on the comparison. Here's what they found out. This is interesting. 1%, 1% of teenagers that were raised by parents who attached little importance to religion and spiritual matters, less than 1% were highly religious in their mid to late 20s. 1%. But 82% of children raised by parents who talked about faith at home, attached great importance to their beliefs, and were active in their congregations were themselves religiously active as young adults. It's not just your teaching, but it's your passion for what you do. How important is it in your life? It's an important part of God using your witness to impress his word of God and to bring life into your children's lives. So, going back to our job description for parents, if point number one is to know your child as well as you can, and responsibility number two is to instruct your children in the word of God as best you can. Well, when you study the child's nature and you find out that folly is bound up in the heart of your child, but yet you need to instruct them, what you realize in a hurry is that step number three is necessary, and that is that you must discipline your child. You must discipline your child. I was really struck by that this week, how much the book of Proverbs talks about discipline. It's everywhere. Confronting your child's sin, rebuking your child, and administering negative incentives to help correct their bad behavior is essential to being a godly parent. I read the verse earlier. I've, read it, I've referenced it several times already in the sermon. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. Do you know how that verse ends? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. In chapter 29, verse 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Chapter 23, verses 13 and 14 say, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Now, I understand this is your controversial words in this cultural context, 
But if you study Proverbs, you cannot come away with any other conclusion but that the, when it talks about the rod, whether you're talking about a, 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 a branch, a spatula, a paddle, whatever it might be, when you mention, when Proverbs talks about a rod, it's both to be taken figuratively and literally. The rod becomes kind of a symbol in Proverbs for parental discipline, administering negative incentives to your child to help correct bad behavior. But it obviously also is affirming that what we call corporal punishment is a legitimate tool for parents to use in training their children. Now I understand that we live in a culture where, and every culture has been like this, it's nothing new, that parents in their sin, in their selfishness, they abuse that tool, use it very badly. And some of you have been the victim of that. But that doesn't mean that if you use spanking, and I'll use that term for it, if you use spanking in a controlled, loving, calm way for the right purposes and with the right motivations, you are able to use that as a tool effectively in helping to parent your children. But again, you've got to know your child. Because the same form of discipline, whether you're talking about time out, where you remove the child from social circles, or you're talking about taking away of privileges or assigning of chores or using spanking, no matter what form of discipline that you're talking about, you've got to know your child to know what is the best form to apply to that child. Again, I had five children. It was amazing to me how creative I had to be in using disciplinary measures to reach each one of those five children. I had one child who will remain nameless who spanking, it just didn't work. It just didn't motivate that child. Didn't bring them, and here's the important point, didn't bring the child to a place of submissive obedience. Didn't bring about that change of heart, that breaking of the will, where the child is submitting and loving in response. That's the purpose of any kind of discipline, and spanking just didn't work for this child. No matter how much we spank this child, the child would look us straight in the eye and say, I can take whatever you can dish out. <laughs> so we had to change methods. It didn't work with that child. And again, let me stress here, I'm talking about young children. Spanking gets less and less effective the older the child gets. It's really, we're talking about young children that you can't sit down and reason with. You need to communicate negative incentives to them in a, in a way that they can understand. I had another child, though, who, if you looked at this child with a harsh look, they'd just melt right in front of you. Get on their knees and repent. And so, in both cases, corporal punishment wasn't effective, wasn't necessary. But I had a couple of children spanking really helped. <laughs> but the progression that we want to see, we want our children to move from a place where they obey because and this is how it almost always is with toddlers, you want them to obey because they don't want the negative consequences. They don't want the discipline. And then you want them, as they grow and mature, to get to the place where they obey because they want the reward of obedience. But then the next stage you try to get them to is where they're obeying not because of discipline or because of reward, but they're obeying because they want to please you and love you as their parent. And they trust you as a parent. But that's not where you end. You need to get to the place where they obey 
because they love the Lord and they trust the Lord and they want to please the Lord and glorify the Lord. That's when you're ready to send them out to the world to change the world. It's a slow, deliberate growth in our children from obedience based in external coercion to obedience based in submissive trust in the Lord. That's the goal. But let me stress this. No matter what form of discipline you choose to use to whatever particular child you're dealing with, the most important thing, because you're going to make mistakes. I have made so many mistakes in discipline. You are going to make mistakes, but what's important is that your child understand that you're doing this because you love them. You know the old phrase, this hurts me more than it'll ever hurt you. They never believe it, but it needs to be true in your mind anyway, that you're doing this because you love them so much. No matter what you're doing, it must be motivated by love and concern for the safety and well-being of the child. This is what Proverbs says in chapter 13, verse 24. It says, whoever spares the rod, whoever doesn't administer discipline, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. It is unloving to not correct the bad behavior of your children. It's unloving. But I say that understanding that the hardest part of discipline for me, and I already shared with you that I had some anger issues, it's very difficult to discipline children in love and not in anger. So often, our efforts at discipline, and especially spanking, must never be done insofar as we're able in, the, in, a, in a sense of anger. It should not be done, the child should not interpret it as making them pay for what they did. Because you're training them to believe the gospel. And the gospel says that Jesus paid for everything I did, past, present, and future. So that would be wrong for me to administer discipline in such a way that I'm making my child believe that they're paying for what they did wrong. That this is somehow vengeance or retaliation. No, it always must be an act of love. You must communicate that to the child. No matter how angry they are, you must do it in a spirit and attitude of calmness and gentleness and love even if it's spanking that's involved. Our discipline as parents needs to reflect the discipline of our Lord. It says back in chapter 3, it's a beautiful verse back in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. We are adopted into God's family. He is our father, and he disciplines us. I'm so glad that I came to see and understand that God is sovereign over all the experiences of my life and that God does bring negative incentives into my life. He does allow me to go through suffering. He does discipline me for my good because he loves me and wants to make me over into the image of his son, which is the best thing I possibly could be. He disciplines me because he loves me, and our parenting must reflect that same love. Matter of fact, over in Hebrews chapter 12, it quotes Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 that I just read. But notice how the writer expands upon it after having quoted those two verses. It says, for it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be the subject of the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Jesus, our Lord, is our good shepherd. His rod and his staff, his rod, which is a symbol of discipline for the sheep, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. As I said before, the world and your children are going to put all kinds of false expectations on you about what your job is as a parent. You need to keep going back to the scriptures. The book of Proverbs makes it clear, the whole of scripture makes it clear that your job as a parent is to know your children as best you can, to instruct them in the ways of the word of God as best you can and impart to them a biblical worldview, and then to discipline them in love for their good and their well-being. There is a verse that I'm sure most, if not all of you, have heard and know well. It's Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I know I and many other parents have clung to that verse, trusting that our work, because we so many days go by that you don't see answers to prayer and you don't see the kind of development that you pray for. But you cling to that verse because God is faithful. But don't ever misinterpret that verse as a promise. It's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. I know that from personal painful experience. It's an observation. As we said, even secular people can do studies and observe the fact that children of godly parents who do their work faithfully, by and large, God is going to bless your work and bring that child to walk in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's no guarantee. Proverbs talks about the pain of working hard for your children and then watching them walk away in rebellion and foolishness. Chapter 17, verse 21 and 25 say, to have a fool for a child brings grief. There's no joy for the parent of a godless fool. A foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the mother who bore him. And there certainly is that pain. And that's kind of the risk that you take as a parent walking into this huge job is there's no guarantee that it's all going to work out beautifully in the end. Your only guarantee is the gospel. That's the only guarantee you have in life, no matter what your job is. But shepherding like a parent is kind of like evangelism in general. The Holy Spirit must go before you. The Holy Spirit must open ears and open eyes and change hearts and change minds. And that's his business. Your job is to know your child, instruct your child, discipline your child, and then pray your fool head off. Because prayer is the only way that you have to work with the Holy Spirit to try to bring about change in the heart of a child. But having said that, I also know from very joyful personal experience that there is no greater joy and satisfaction in life than to do the hard work of being a parent faithfully day in and day out and then watch God use that to bring that child to know Christ, to love Christ, and to walk in his ways. And Proverbs talks about that joy too. Chapter 23 My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Reminds me of what John says in 3 John verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. It's the hardest, most overwhelming thing that God will ever ask you to do, but there is no greater joy and no greater satisfaction 
than watching God use your faithfulness to change and transform and use a life for his glory. Let's pray. Father, it is an overwhelming responsibility that you lay on the shoulders of parents. And for those of us who had godly parents who followed these principles and this job description, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for their willingness to die to themselves in order that they might love us and impart to us the wisdom of your word. Lord, for those of us who didn't have that kind of parent, who didn't teach us any of these things, who maybe abused us and led us astray, we pray, Lord, that you would not only forgive them, that they might find the grace if they haven't already, but, Lord, that you would enable us to forgive them as well as you have first forgiven us. And for those of us who take on the responsibility of parenting, we just humbly lay our lives before you, ask for your spirit to work in us and through us, to know ourselves and to know our children, to teach them effectively and discipline them in love. Lord, it's beyond us. We can all do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.